yeah, we get it. We understand. We understand that I am late. I understand that the show was supposed to air at 1 p.m. Eastern time. It is 2.41 p.m. and I'm here. But guess what? That's the perks of hosting your own show. It is called The Peyton Doyle Show for a reason. So guess what? If I want to show up an hour and 41 minutes late, I freaking can. Why? Because it's my freaking show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the newest edition of The Peyton Doyle Show. If you haven't figured it out already, I am Peyton Doyle, the host of The Peyton Doyle Show. Thank you to all of you who are watching live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, If you're worried that you might not be able to stay for the entire show, do not worry, because at the conclusion of the show, it will be posted here on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts for you to rewatch, listen to, watch your favorite part, whatever. Uh, I wanted to start off the show with a couple quick things before I get into this this dreaded uh, Deshaun Watson topic that I'm just going to have to address. Um, I've been basically forced to talk about it all this week, and honestly, all year for that matter. Uh, First off, I would like to say yes, things look a little bit different. I changed the branding up just a little bit, just tweaked it. Um, I hope you all enjoy that. Maybe it'll make it a little bit more aesthetically pleasing. I felt like the old color scheme was just kind of kind of ugly. Like it just, yeah, I looked at it and I was like, this ain't popping. And I decided to make something a little bit better. Um, not not any major changes, um, you know, just a little bit of color scheme just to kind of help me match stuff with graphics and whatnot. I also want to say welcome back to all of you listening. Um, it's been about a month since I've gone live. And now some of you will be asking why, uh, because I recently made the choice to move to the Orlando area to get a degree in sports casting. So I was just, you know, getting my stuff packed and paperwork done and preparing myself to make this move. And then once I got here a little bit under two weeks ago, um, I had to get all my stuff set up and now I'm back. And most importantly, I feel like I can give 100% to this show uh, because we all know that's my main thing. I will never do a 99% show. I'm Peyton Doyle. I do everything 100%. It's a 100% or nothing. So while the good news is that I'm back today, the bad news is you're stuck with me and just me for the entire show because I kind of spontaneously announced the date and time of this show under two days ago, which uh, led me not being able to find a guest. Um, so this this episode might be kind of short and sweet, especially since it's just going to be me. I guess the name holds true. The Peyton Doyle show is just going to be me for the entire show. So might be a, a little short and sweet here, probably around 20 to 30 minutes. Uh, you know, however the time flows, if it goes before that, or under that, I'm not capping it at any pay, at any uh, certain time slot. So, because it's my show, I could talk for however long I want, and I could talk for however little I want. It's my show. Um, I'm gonna talk some Cleveland Browns today and what their record will be like, assuming that Deshaun Watson will be suspended, um, and also assuming that Baker Mayfield isn't their quarterback. I also will be taking, or I'll also be talking about the Dejounte Murray trade and how the Hawks rank now in the Eastern Conference after the trade. I'll also be predicting where some of the big-name NBA free agents will be landing. Also, later on in the show, I'll give my predictions for the AFC West, one of the most uh, interesting divisions this year, maybe even the best division of all time. And to wrap up the show, I'm rolling out a new segment that I'm pretty excited about. I'm calling it Fast Break uh, for now. If anyone comes up with a better name, please you know, reach out and let me know. 
Uh, but basically, the fast break segment will just be me reeling off some of the biggest sports news and headlines of the week and giving my take on it in about five seconds or less. But first, before we get into all the fun stuff, we sadly have to talk about the not-so-fun stuff, courtesy of Deshaun Watson. I can't lie. Listen, I have definitely been ducking this topic on my show since it came out. It's just it's just a hard topic to talk about. A lot of emotions are attached to it. And, and when you write and produce and host your own show, it makes it easy for you to pick the topics that you want to talk about and put out the topics that you don't really want to talk about. But when there's a situation like this, there are some topics that come up and you have no choice. You have to talk about it. And that is the case for this uh, Deshaun Watson situation. I have no choice but to talk about it at least once on the show. Um, So let's get into it. For those of you who do not know, um, Deshaun Watson at one point had 24 civil cases filed against him where he allegedly sexually assaulted um, these women that had accused him of inappropriate behavior during massage sessions that he um, had scheduled with them. A few months ago, two of these cases were brought to a grand jury and the grand jury ruled not to indict Watson on these charges. That does not prove Watson's innocence. The grand jury, for those of you who might not know, does not judge innocent versus guilty. The grand jury decides whether or not the prosecution has enough evidence in their case to indict the defendant on criminal charges. And they ruled that they just didn't have enough evidence at the time. Watson and his legal team in the past few weeks have privately settled uh, 20 of those 24 cases outside of court. So that means there are still four pending lawsuits, civil lawsuits, active against Deshaun Watson. The hearings between the NFL and NFLPA and disciplinary officer Sue Robinson began on Tuesday and have carried on until today. Uh, The NFL is reportedly pushing for an indefinite suspension while the NFLPA is arguing there's no real precedent that justifies that punishment. Here's the fact of the matter that makes this so incredibly difficult to judge right from wrong, and that is one, the NFL has completely skewed its guidelines on suspending players, and now it's it's getting blatantly exposed this offseason. Calvin Ridley received a year suspension for betting on games that he was not playing in. So now you you look at the rule. I I think it's fair to say that betting on a game that you're not playing in is much less severe than alleged sexual misconduct with 24 different women. That's easy to agree with, right? But the problem is that's how the NFL rule book is operated. In the rule book, it states that you can be banned for life from the NFL for a first-time offense from gambling. But what does it say regarding situations like sexual assault? In the NFL Code of Conduct policy, it states, violations involving assault, battery, domestic violence, or sexual assault will result in a baseline six-game suspension without pay, with more if aggravating factors are present such as the use of a weapon or a crime against a child. So it's in the NFL rulebook itself that it views gambling as a more serious offense than things 
like assault and domestic abuse. So that's problem number one with the NFL and the corner they're in with the Deshaun Watson case. Problem number two is that legally speaking, not literally speaking, legally speaking, Deshaun Watson is an innocent man. As it stands today, legally speaking, Deshaun Watson is still innocent, which means since there's been no indictments, arrests, charges, or convictions, the NFL can only suspend him under that NFL code of conduct policy that I just read off to you, which, as I stated, by the rules, says has a baseline suspension of six games. Now, if you honestly think that Deshaun Watson is going to get a six-game suspension, you are delusional. You are completely delusional. And to be honest, if you're going in the opposite direction and you're going to say that Deshaun Watson is never going to play football again, you are delusional. Now, listen, that is just saying if you think it will happen. If you feel like that's what should happen, what should happen is a different question than what will happen. I like to talk about what will, not what should. So if you think Deshaun Watson should get less than a one-year suspension, or you think that Deshaun Watson should never step onto a football field, again, that's fine. You're perfectly entitled to those feelings. All feelings are feelings, and you are entitled to them. There is no invalidation in your feelings. However, the fact of the matter is this. The NFL cannot miss the ball on this because of the amount of eyes on the situation. They have a PR crisis on, on, their, on their hands here with the, the Deshaun Watson decision. Um, Deshaun Watson will get a four-year suspension. That is what I believe will happen. And I, I think that's what's appropriate is an exact one-year suspension and hopefully force him to do some counseling and or community service. Uh, to those of you saying that one year isn't enough, that's okay. And you're title, entitled to that opinion. Personally, I think that sexually assaulting or physically assaulting a woman is the second most scummiest, low-class, bottom-of-the-barrel human being thing that you can do aside from crimes against a child. So I am in no way at all defending Deshaun Watson or diminishing these allegations or the significance of them. I'm not downplaying anything here. I'm saying put feelings aside. And the fact of the matter is, whether you like it, whether I like it, whether anybody on this planet likes it or not, Deshaun Watson's going to play football again. And the NFL most likely will suspend him for a full season. Nothing more, nothing less. Now that we've established, though, that Deshaun Watson is going to be uh, gone for this entire season at minimum, that poses the question, what will the Browns be like this year without Watson at quarterback and presumably without Baker Mayfield? As we know, Baker Mayfield was interviewed and he said, uh, we are both looking towards moving on. To answer this question, honestly, I know when I dropped my uh, AFC North record predictions, I did have the Browns um, at an insane amount of wins. I believe I had them at 12 and five or 13 and four, but that was under the um, the precedent that Deshaun Watson was going to play for about, I believe I said I was going to have him at an eight game suspension when I made that predictions months ago before we found out more news and the cases kept piling on for Watson. Um, now it's obvious that Baker Mayfield's gone and Deshaun Watson's gone. So Jacoby Brissett is going to be their starting quarterback. Now, what are they going to look like? The Browns are going to look at a five-win 
season if Jacoby Brissett is their starting quarterback. And I love Brissett. And I think he's a great backup in this league. But key word in that statement is backup. Brissett had his chance with a good team when he took over as the starter when Andrew Luck retired uh, spontaneously in Indianapolis. That was a team that was ready to win. And Brissett couldn't keep that ship afloat. I see the same with the Browns this year, especially in the AFC North, which is extremely competitive. But let's not sit here and act like Brissett is very similar to Baker Mayfield because he's a clear-cut downgrade from Baker Mayfield. There's some people acting like this isn't that bad, like Baker Mayfield and and, uh, Jacoby Brissett are kind of the same thing. No, no, no. Baker Mayfield is worlds better than Jacoby Brissett. Baker Mayfield to Cleveland fans, right? And you have to keep this into account here. Baker Mayfield to Cleveland fans is like the ex-girlfriend that you kind of still like a little bit in a way where it's like you could talk bad about him. Like Cleveland fans, we could talk bad about Baker Mayfield all we freaking want to. But if you do it, no, 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 no. That's where you draw the line. Then all of a sudden the Cleveland fans will get super defensive on you saying that Baker Mayfield wasn't ever that bad and blah, blah, blah. But that's the thing. Don't act like Baker Mayfield is worse or on the same level as Jacoby Brissett. Brissett is a clear downgrade for the Browns team. The Browns could be looking at a top 10 draft pick, which could honestly benefit them once Deshaun Watson does come back from his suspension. But Then again, you know, we'll have to see. It's all speculation at this point as to, you know, what the Browns are going to look like. They are the Browns after all. They do tend to let me down a lot. And so that's why I'm having enough Browns talk for the day. Time to talk some NBA. There was a huge trade that went down yesterday afternoon. Uh, DeJounte Murray got traded to the Atlanta Hawks. And in that trade, the Spurs acquired Danilo Gallinari, three first-round picks and a 2026. 2026 pick swap, excuse me. I think this was a overall good move for the Hawks. However, I'm not quite sure yet if it was a great move. There's a difference. You could make a good offseason move and you could make a great offseason move and there's a huge difference. I like that the Hawks are, you know, they're going all in and they're trying to build a championship contending team. However, I'm not sure yet if DeJounte Murray was that missing piece that will get them over the top in the Eastern Conference. And I am in no way trying to short sell DeJounte Murray. Obviously, he was extremely slept on last year, averaging 21 points, 8 rebounds, and 9 assists per game on 46% from the floor. That's incredible. Those are some outstanding numbers. Do not get me wrong. But there's two concerns for me in regards to the Hawks and this trade. Uh, The first one is the most obvious one schematically. In basketball sense, how does DeJounte Murray fit in with the team? Because we could play 2K all we want. You know what I mean? We could get guys just trading them left and right. We could play 2K all we want, but it doesn't really pan out all the time to wins in real life. Uh, The Hawks now have two high usage on ball point guards. And one of them is going to have to play the two. And in my opinion, it kind of has to be DeJounte, especially defensively because of his size. Trey Young is a liability. He can't guard a two guard. Offensively, though, Trey Young would probably be more suitable at the two spot because he's a better perimeter shooter than Murray is. 
it just seems like it could be a little bit clunky, a, a little bit of a clunky fit, and maybe it'll work itself out, but I could see it taking until after the All-Star break to see how I would really grade this for them. Now, like I said, you know, I love the intention behind the move. I love that teams are are, are seeing the Eastern Conference are seeing the Eastern Conference right now and seeing that it's super tight and super close and wire to wire. So the Hawks, you know, they felt the need that they needed to go out and be aggressive, that there was a sense of urgency and they made a deal to try to better their roster. And I give them props for that. But there's, you know, there's three tiers of teams in each conference. You have the bottom feeders. So in the Eastern Conference, that would kind of be like the Magic, the the Wizards, you know, the teams that just aren't going to ever be anywhere anytime soon. And then you have the playoff contenders. So that would kind of be like, you know, the Cavs, the Hornets, you know, you kind of have, you could even throw like, you know, uh, the Knicks in there, maybe, even though I think the Knicks are a little bit out of that. They're more like the bottom feeders, but they're on the cusp of that. The Raptors would be a good example of that. Those are the playoff contenders in the Eastern Conference. And then you have the very few title contenders, the Bucks, the Celtics. Before the trade, though, the Hawks were in the playoff contender spot, right? After the trade, where are they? Are they in the contender spot? I don't think so. They are still in the playoff contender spot. I have the Hawks right now as the eighth best team in the Eastern Conference before the trade. I had them at ninth. Now I have them at eighth, only leapfrogging the Raptors. So while I like the aggression and the sense of urgency by the Atlanta Hawks front office, I don't know if I'm giving up a decent role player, three first round picks, a pick swap, to be better than the Raptors, to leapfrog the Raptors. I would want to make a trade like that and have my team elevate into conference title contenders, title contenders of the conference. I would want that to elevate my team into that category, and it just didn't. At the end of the day, that's who you're really competing against. You're competing against the Bucs. You're competing against the Bulls. You're competing against the Celtics, the top of the top in the Eastern Conference. And I don't think that adding DeJounte Murray is going to get the Hawks there. I think they're just an upper echelon playoff contender now in the Eastern Conference. Now, there's also some big names who could also potentially be on the move this offseason. One name in particular is Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal, as expected, declined his $36.4 million player option, and now will hit the free agent market. Bradley Beal, Bradley Beal, listen, run. Run away while you still have the chance. Run as far away from the Wizards as humanly possible. They do not know how to put you, how to put a good team around you. It's evident that they can't ever put good pieces around you, Bradley Beal, since John Wall left and since John Wall got hurt. You are still playing at a high level, actually an insanely high level, averaging 29 points over the last three years, which is second behind only Giannis, the best player in the league right now. I get that Washington can offer you five years, $248 million. Yes, that's fantastic, but do yourself a favor. Go talk to Pat Riley about joining the Miami Heat. Please. Every year, there's trade rumors surrounding the Heat and Bradley Beal, but they just never end up happening. I think it's become blatantly obvious at this point that the Heat 
absolutely need to make a move this offseason if they want to be considered championship contenders. Just Jimmy Butler isn't enough. So the interest with Miami should be there. If you bring in Bradley Beal, you're instantly title contenders. Adding Bradley Beal to the Miami Heat would probably equate to them being the best team in the Eastern Conference, in my opinion. And for the first time ever, Bradley Beal would be in a winning situation and have a real shot at winning an NBA title. Isn't that the name of the game? Yes, I know you want that big money deal in Washington. I know that. And I know that nowhere else can offer you that deal. But dude, you know damn well you are not going to win a single thing of notoriety in Washington. So why don't you go visit Pat Riley and have him talk to you and have him talk to you about heat culture so you could come to Miami and come compete for NBA championships rather than playing for a bottom-feeding organization in the Wizards. I just don't get it. There has never seemed to be a sense of urgency from Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal has had multiple chances to leave, to run away, to escape that that garbage of an organization in the Washington Wizards, and he has chosen time after time to stay. Why? Bradley Beal, go. This is your chance. Run. Because if you sign this deal, you're going to play out your entire prime with Washington, and guess what? You're not going to have anything to show for it. Don't try to be like Dame Lillard. Go. Try to try to win. Go to Miami. Pair up with Jimmy Butler. Try to win NBA championships. Get out of Washington. I don't understand why the sense of urgency or the desire to leave the Wizards has never been there with Bradley Beal. In terms of winning basketball games, we all know that it's better for him to leave Washington However, if he stays in, in, in Washington, like I said, I'm not going to be shocked because it seems like there was there's never been a sense of urgency for him to leave. So if he stays, wouldn't be shocked. If he leaves, I say Miami's the best fit. Now next, I have Zach Levine, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving all staying right where they are because I, I have them, I have all of them staying right where they are and returning to the teams that they played with last year. I know, you know, kind of boring, you know, oh man, I wanted to see someone go, but blah, 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 right? That's just how I see it playing out. I don't see James Harden. I know that he opted out of his player option. I think he's going to take a lesser deal to go back to Philly so that they can go out and get guys like PJ Tucker to put around them to make Philly a better team to maybe win a title. Um, Zach Levine, monetarily speaking, it doesn't make sense for him to go anywhere else other than Chicago. Plus, I think Chicago has high interest in keeping Zach Levine, mainly because you don't go out and trade for Nikola Vucevic. You don't go out and, and, and get a, a DeMar DeRozan and trade for Alonzo Ball or sign Alonzo Ball if you aren't trying to win titles. And you know that if you lose Zach Levine, your, your title window is, is much smaller. It's going to be much harder for you to compete in the Eastern Conference. So I think that the interest with with um, Chicago is there. And I think Zach Levine has more interest than initially reported in going back to Chicago. And with Kyrie Irving, who knows? I just think Kyrie Irving is a little bit of, uh, he, he loves attention. And I think he's getting that right now. So he's kind of playing the media. We all know he opted into his player deal, but knowing Kyrie Irving, that might mean he's just going to ask for a trade or demand a trade. We don't know, but I think Kyrie stays in Brooklyn. Uh, James Harden stays in Philly and Zach Levine stays in Chicago. But one interesting one I have is DeAndre Ayton. Um, the Suns 
tendered a qualifying offer of $16.4 million to DA, making him a restricted free agent. Um, this is an interesting situation to me because DA has so much talent. He's a guy who should be averaging around 20 and 10 quite easily year in and year out. However, he hasn't done that. But he hasn't been necessarily bad either. He's the first Suns player since Shaq to average over 15 points on over 60% from the field in a season. He also was the only player in the NBA this season to average 17 points on over 60% from the field. So Aiton certainly has value. And Woj said that there are multiple teams interested in giving Aiton the max contract that he's looking for in a side-and-trade scenario. After all, he still is only 23 years old and has tons of talent and definitely has not hit his peak as an NBA player yet. And he's already pretty good. And even though Suns GM James Jones has said that the team wants to bring Aiton back, it seems like that energy is not reciprocated from Aiton's camp. And now report after report is coming out and saying that the former number one overall pick has already played his last game in a Suns uniform. So where will DA go? I have one team that nobody, nobody is really talking about. Um, nobody has really mentioned them, but I think they could potentially be dark horses to get DeAndre Ayton. That would be the Orlando Magic. The Magic have young players that they can package in a sign-and-trade uh, scenario to make an offer that is enticing to the Suns and also create enough cap space to give Ayton the money that he wants. Aiton also certainly would get the increased role that he's looking for in Orlando um, as the Magic don't have much players taking up volume in that offense. And also, interestingly enough, the Magic have declined to place a qualifying offer on Mobamba, which will make him an unrestricted free agent. Um, he is likely to sign elsewhere and not re-sign with the Magic, of course. Um, so there's a need in Orlando for top young talent and DA fits that category. The only question is, do they want to stick with Wendell Carter Jr. at a much lower price than DA, who is just coming off a career year with the team? Granted, Wendell Carter Jr. is not uh, uh, as talented of a prospect as DA. Don't get me wrong, but he's getting paid half of the amount that DA would be getting paid if you were to sign him to a, an extension that he is looking for. So, that's an interesting potential landing spot for DA would be the Magic. I could also see the Pacers coming in and and um, making a deal for DeAndre Ayton, who are looking for a starting center, especially after they traded Sabonis last year to the Kings. We all know that. They've also, interestingly enough, they've been non-committal to Miles Turner being their starting center for this upcoming season. So he could be a nice player to kind of add on in a sign-and-trade scenario for DA. I would say right now, if I had to pick a favorite, who would be the favorite? Indiana would be the favorite to land a trade or a sign and trade for DA. But don't be surprised if we hear rumblings about DA going to Orlando. All right, let's jump back into some NFL talk. Um, with some AFC West predictions, I wanted to bring this topic up on the show today. And the reason why I had the AFC West in particular is because I posted all of my record predictions on my TikTok account at PD Sports. If you haven't already checked that out yet, please do. Um, so I posted my record predictions and division rankings on there. And one of them caused some severe outrage. 
And that would be the topic at hand here. My AFC West predictions video got over 110,000 views. And I got many comments telling me that I bumped my head, super original, or even asking me what kind of drugs I'm on. Uh, Some people told me to never give my opinion again because I criticized their favorite football team. I personally didn't think that it was that crazy. So these are the predictions right here. Uh, Starting off in last place, well, in fourth place, rather, I don't want to say last place because I have the Broncos at nine and eight. And I feel like if you go nine and eight, I feel like you shouldn't be considered a last place team. But that's how I think this division is truly going to play out. I feel like the Broncos defense is going to take a little step back, mainly because they're going from a defensive head coach and Vic Fangio to Nathaniel Hackett, who is an offensive minded coach. I also feel like there's going to be potential for a rocky start. You have a quarterback who's switching teams for the first time in his career in Russell Wilson, and you have a coach who is a head coach in the NFL for the first time ever. So that kind of can get off to a rocky start. And you also have good offensive weapons, but I would say that the weapons, the wide receiver core in Denver is kind of overrated at this point. I like Cortland Sutton and I was very high on him a few years ago before he got hurt, but let's be honest. He's inconsistent and injury prone. He also struggles at creating separation at times in in his route running because his speed is kind of low and he's just kind of, he just kind of can't get separation at times. So I think he's very average to slightly above average at best. And he's kind of inconsistent. Like I said, KJ Hamler, the speedster hasn't done much since entering the league. Let's be honest. And Jerry Judy is solid and has potential, but he's another unknown as well. And you can make the argument, yeah, now they have Russ. Russ is going to elevate the play of that receiving core. But it's like they weren't already good to begin with. Russ is going to elevate them, sure. But it's a downgrade from what he had in Seattle with DK and Tyler Lockett. Let's be honest. So that's kind of why I see the Browns, or not the Browns, I'm sorry. Browns are on my mind, man. But the Broncos, that's kind of why I see the Broncos finishing in fourth place at nine and eight is because the uncertainty surrounding that team, you have question marks at head coach. You have question marks on how the the, the um, quarterback will fit into the new offense. You have question marks surrounding the defense. And you have question marks surrounding how good can this receiving core be. And in a division that's tight, it's going to be detrimental to them if they go off to a rocky start. Now in third place, I have the Kansas City Chiefs at 11-6. Yes, I know that they have owned this division year in and year out. However, they lost their most explosive player in Tyreek Hill and arguably their best defensive player in Tyron Matthew. That's tough, especially in a division like this when each team around you is getting better and better. A lot of people acted like I'm dissing the Chiefs by saying this, but why don't why don't we use our brains here real quick and see if I'm truly dissing the Chiefs. Like I said, The Chiefs lost their most explosive offensive playmaker and their best defensive player, and I still have them at 11-6. and If that happened to any other team, if that happened to any other team, and I said they were going to go 11-6, and you guys would call me nuts. But because it's the Chiefs and because they're reliable, you think that they're going to still be good. I have a lot of trust, and I have a lot of faith in Patrick Mahomes and the pedigree of of him and Andy Reid together. But... If you think that the Chiefs won't slightly miss Tyree Kill, you're a moron. And I don't know what to tell you. That is why I have them in third place at this division. They lost key pieces while other teams 
gained key pieces in their division. That's kind of how competition works. If you're getting worse and your competition is getting better, you're falling down the ladder. Don't be a moron. Yes, I know that you think the Chiefs are still going to win the Super Bowl this year. I don't know why you still think that. They very well, they very well might win the Super Bowl, but don't act like I'm dissing the Chiefs by saying that they're going to go 11-6. and six. If anything, that should be praise to the Chiefs that I think they're going to go 11-6 and six after all of the pieces that they lost this offseason. In second place, I have the Las Vegas Raiders at 12-5. and five. I see the Raiders being pretty good this year. A lot of people are telling me that Derek Carr is overrated. And, and now that he now that he got this reputation as being underrated, people overrate him and that he's not that good. He just can't win. You tell me. Listen, let me ask you this. You tell me how many quarterbacks would have led the Raiders to the playoffs last year. That Raiders team that had Henry Ruggs, one of their best wide receivers, get arrested midseason. That Raiders team that had John Gruden fired midseason while they had a winning record. You tell me how many quarterbacks in the league are that resilient of a leader to get that team to the playoffs despite all that happened to them. Derek Carr is a leader. Derek Carr is resilient, and he's also talented as well. He is a top-of-the-line quarterback in this league, whether you like it or not. The Raiders made it to the playoffs last year because of Derek Carr. Now you, you're pairing Derek Carr with Devontae Adams along with Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller. So they made the playoffs last year in a um, very uh, un, unexpected, poor situation, right? Now you're giving him Devontae Adams. You're giving him a guy who has chemistry with playing at Fresno State in college together. And to you knuckleheads, to you morons, to you imbeciles who are trying to tell me one receiver isn't going to change that much. It's not going to change them that much. One receiver doesn't make a big difference. Look at the Bengals last year, and you you tell me if one receiver can't kind of make a difference in an offense. And we're also forgetting to mention that Devontae Adams is the best wide receiver in all of football. So get a better take than that, please. Before you try to come at me and say that my takes are terrible, you get a better take other than, one run receiver won't change that much. Oh, really? It won't? Because I think it does. I think it's shown that it does change that much. If you have a go-to option, a bread-and-butter guy, a connection between a quarterback and a wide receiver, whether it could even be a tight end as well, that has so much value in today's NFL. And I think that the Raiders found that with Derek Carr and Devontae Adams. Winning the AFC West, I have the Los Angeles Chargers at 13 and four. I know the chargers, they always underperform. Well, guess what? I don't live in the freaking past. I'm not a historian. If you want to hear someone talk about the past, go watch the freaking history channel or go to a museum. Don't expect that to come out of this show. My show. Don't expect that. I am not a historian. I don't live in the freaking past. The Chargers have good receivers. Justin Herbert is an absolute beast. And they made huge moves this offseason to acquire Khalil Mack and JC Jackson to add along to Derwin James and Joey Bosa on that defense. Two great complementary pieces to what is now an extremely talented defense. If Brandon Staley gets better at coaching in late game situations, which I think he will, 
I think he will do it because last year, you know, it was his first year. You can make rookie mistakes from time to time, and that's fine. But if he improves in his coaching in late-game situations in year two, which I expect him to, I have no reason to believe he won't, the Chargers are going to be freaking dangerous, and you better watch out. I don't care about you dinosaurs living in the past talking about, oh my gosh, the Chargers, they're hyped up every year, and then they don't perform. Well, guess what? Like I said, go watch the History Channel. They'll tell you everything they, you need to know about the freaking past. I live in the now. The Chargers are a damn good football team, and they are going to win the AFC West this year. Now, let's finish the show with this new segment. We're actually running a good time today. I'm a little bit proud of myself here. How about that? We are at 36 minutes of just me, just me freaking talking. If you aren't bored yet, congrats. I'm very proud of you for not being bored yet because I'm getting kind of bored. So now we're going to start off the new segment that's going to make me unbored. It's going to be a little bit exciting. I'm excited to do this. I came up with this idea last night, actually, uh, while I was you know, coming up with what I was going to talk about for the show. Let's run the fast break where I give some of my takes on some of the biggest news in sports in five seconds or less. Starting off, a new lawsuit filed against the Houston Texans alleges that the team enabled Deshaun Watson's inappropriate behavior. It keeps getting worse. Russell Westbrook opts into $47 million player option with the Lakers, one mil per brick. Kyrie Irving opts into $37 million player option with the Nets, one mil per game missed. Former Bucks and Patriots tight end Rob Gronkowski announces his retirement. He'll be back. Serena Williams loses in the first round at Wimbledon. End of an era. Commanders and wide receiver Terry McLaurin agree on a three-year, $71 million contract extension, making him one of the NFL's top-paid wide receivers. Well-deserved. The Nets reportedly turned down a trade offer for Kyrie Irving to the Lakers in a package surrounding Russell Westbrook, Ben Simmons, Russell Westbrook, the Brick Bros. Le'Veon Bell and Adrian Peterson agree to a boxing match at Crypto.com Arena in LA next month. Thank you, Jake Paul. Now everyone thinks they're a boxer. And thank you to all of you tuning in today. If you stayed for the entire show, God bless you because I don't know how you did. I don't know how you stayed on with just me, but thank you very much if you did. Whether you're watching live or tuning in later on, I, I appreciate you all so much for tuning in. All jokes aside, it really means the world to me. Um, if you haven't already, please make sure to like, follow, and or subscribe, and make sure to stay tuned for next week's episode. Thank you.